0: Hi, and welcome back to a brand new episode. Today, we're talking about estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. Oh my. And we're going to get into how do you know when you need each one of these hormones, what each one of these do, and how to know that those levels are right. This is always a very popular topic and one that I talk about a lot over on Instagram, over on YouTube, and again today on the show. So without further ado, let's get right into it.
1: welcome to Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by Evia. Evia is the first ever app that utilizes the science-backed technique of using hypnotherapy to effectively manage your hot flashes and night sweats naturally. Hypnotherapy is supported by NAMS, the North American Menopause Society, is a proven mechanism to calm the body's stress response to bothersome hot flashes. Now with the EVIA app, that's simply E-V-I-A in the app store, you will learn to soothe both day and night symptoms without the use of medications. You'll be able to track and evaluate your symptoms and so much more. They have a core five-week program that is Dr. Hirsch approved for at-home support. Start your seven-day free trial at eviamenopausecom Heather, which is E-V-I-A-M-E-N-O-P-A-U-S-E dot Heather, or check the link in the description to get started.
0: Hi my lovely listeners and welcome back to the show. So glad that you are here and I couldn't help but dive into this topic again this week because it is so important to understand what the different hormones are doing, which symptoms they're treating and how to know that if you want to do hormone therapy that you're doing it Right. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. I'm really excited as you're listening to this episode. I'm either, if you're listening to this in real time, um, this is going to be up March 2nd. Um, there is the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health or ISHWISH annual meeting that's going to be in Texas. And I'm going to be there for three-ish days and I am beyond excited. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, be sure to do so. I'm at hormone.health.doc or over on TikTok, I'm at Heather Hirsch, MD because I'm sure I will be posting all about it in my stories and maybe doing a bunch of TikToks. Hopefully I can get some friends to do some with me. And so I'm really looking so forward to that. Now, IshWish is not just for the care of midlife and menopausal women. It really does cover uh, women's sexual health across the spectrum, but what I am so interested in is of course the midlife and postmenopausal part of sexual health. And if you don't already subscribe to my subscriber only show, please consider doing so is four bucks a month. And I'm going to put an episode up, what my favorite things are about going to an annual conference. Cause it's probably different than what you think it is or what you think it should be. And it's not just going out to dinner with my friends. And this is going to be a really fun episode just to kind of give you more of behind, behind, behind the scenes with me. And also, Ooh, I just saw a huge spider on my ceiling. Oh my goodness. And also you probably go to conferences in your field. And so it's kind of nice to sometimes know that there's different ways you can operate going to a conference. We always feel so much pressure that we need to maximize, you know, our learning and maximize everything that we're doing if we're going and spending the money, but I'm going to shake it all out and tell you how I like to do it. All right, let's get into the show for today. Now, what I'm going to focus on for this show is really the use of postmenopausal estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. Now, it's not that you cannot use hormone therapy in perimenopause. I do this quite frequently, and this also seems to be a source of contention for some of my students who are in the Reclaiming Menopause Masterclass and just people who DM me all the time that their clinician, their doctor is a little weary about prescribing perimenopausal hormone therapy, but it can absolutely be done. It's just a little bit easier and cleaner to talk about using hormone therapy Postmenopausally. In fact, it's, it's actually much easier to do hormone therapy postmenopausally, and that certainly could be a reason why a lot of clinicians are a little weary of using postmenopausal hormone therapy in perimenopause. So, just as a quick reminder, as we go through menopause, our ovaries, which make pretty much all of the estrogen and testosterone in our bodies, naturally starts to decline and menopause by the textbook, although most of my patients don't follow the textbook, is 12 months of no period. You can also use labs and you will see an Elevated follicle stimulating hormone level, or FSH as it's commonly referred to or called for short. And high means, you know, somewhere over 35 or 40, and a low estradiol. And that level is usually between 0 and 20. But to give you a reference range, um, when women are premenopausal and cycling, estrogen goes anywhere from about 50 up to 500 each month. And at the peak or at that highest level, women are ovulating, and at the lowest is When they're menstruating. So that means that if you are still making a little bit of estrogen postmenopausally, let's say I check it and it's 15, it's still relatively small compared to what you were making when you were having fluctuating levels each month. And then, commonly accompanying that low estrogen and also low testosterone, but accompanying the low estrogen is the majority of the symptoms of menopause. So let's start with hot flashes. And, you know, just to start you out with a statistic here, 75% of women will have symptoms that last on average five to seven years. And that's because there's estrogen receptors all over the body from head to toe and actually a a big reason we have hot flashes we believe we're not exactly sure is because we have estrogen receptors in our brain and those receptors are looking for estrogen even though your body is no longer making it your ovaries are no longer making it and so when your brain is kind of used to having estrogen to help with its core body temperature or a better way to say it is its flexibility in adjusting to changes in ambient temperature when estrogen's no longer there it's it kind of gets really irritated. The brain kind of almost gets angry and it's like going to the light switch and flicking it off and on and off and on, which is changing the thermoregulatory zone in your brain and causing vasomotor symptoms. So this could be the classic, you know, I feel it coming up from, you know, my feet all the way up to my chest and up to my head and then back down, or it could simply be night sweats. You know, women will say, I just toss and turn at night and I just never can get comfortable. Or it can just be like, oh, I was always a cold baby in the office, always had a scarf and a sweater and a space heater, and now I'm wearing a t-shirt in 30-degree weather. So it could be reflected in any one of those ways. So vasomotor symptoms, which we also call changes in core body temperature, body regulation, and night sweats are all from low estrogen. When we think about poor sleep, a lot of the times that's also, whether it's indirectly from the lack of estrogen or it's directly from the lack of estrogen, that could be one of the issues relating to either trouble falling asleep or staying asleep. Falling asleep more likely is an anxiety-driven component. Or an insomnia type of component, trouble with staying asleep, meaning you wake up very frequently, is, is definitely more likely a direct effect of the loss of estrogen via, via just that tossing and turning. Mood changes, we also think, may be related to the loss of estrogen, maybe the loss of progesterone, but you should sort of be seeing a trend here that most of these things are from the loss of estrogen. Vaginal dryness, genitourinary syndrome of menopause, frequent urinary tract infections, all of that pelvic floor stuff, also, really primarily the loss of estrogen that's driving a lot of the changes. So, what are the changes? Well, again, when we lose estrogen, the pH of the vagina actually starts to go up. It becomes more basic. If you remember from like eighth grade science, lower pH is more acidic higher pH is more basic. And so the pH becomes more basic and therefore the cells, the layer of cells that help to make the tissue fluffy and stretchy and elastic and those cells that make lubricants, natural lubricants start to kind of get a little angry, kind of kind of stop working so great in that acidic pH and that contributes to the pain with intercourse, the discomfort you may have with sitting or standing, the discomfort with peeing, which is when the urine comes out of that urethra and kind of, you know, that acidic urine brushes against that basic urethra. Ouch. Um, and then again, the frequent urinary tract infections, or even for some women, it's like this recurrent cycle of obnoxious vaginitis, like yeast and BV, or just you know, itis, but nothing that's really there, like nothing that's really treatable. Low estrogen. What about weight gain? Probably also low estrogen. Maybe testosterone plays a role. We're not entirely sure, and we're going to get to that. We're not entirely sure what testosterone really does. And that's because it's not well studied. And that's because no one's really giving a lot of money to researchers to study testosterone in postmenopausal women. But when we lose estrogen, you know, that really tends to slow the metabolism. Everyone who comes to my office to start hormone therapy always asks the same thing. Is this going to cause weight gain? And I say to them, hmm, did your weight gain kind of start as you were losing your estrogen? And they kind of put the pieces together that actually the loss of estrogen seems to be the contributing factor to the slowing metabolism. So we know a couple of really important facts. One, women who take hormone therapy gain less weight than women who don't. And that's not to say that's the right answer. It's just a fact that we can use when we're trying to really understand how estrogen working in all these different facets. And second, women who take hormone therapy have less progression to diabetes or a, a reduction in the diagnosis of diabetes compared to women who don't take hormone therapy. Another thing to say, look, even if you're not at risk for diabetes, you don't have prediabetes or anything like that, estrogen seems to control or better regulate our insulin uh, sensitivity. And the better insulin sensitivity you have, the better you can metabolize those carbohydrates and et cetera, which, you know, if, if you don't metabolize them really well, can go on to be stored as fats. And it's another reason why we think that for menopausal women, it's this belly weight. It happens all in the, in the mid-belly area. Um, and, and that could be because of the insulin resistance that's happening as we lose estrogen. A whole bunch of host of other symptoms, arthritic, joint aches and pains, vertigo, nausea. We think these are all from the lack of estrogen. And each of these has a very detailed sort of um, cellular pathway as, and, and theories as to why. We're not a thousand percent sure. But one of the things that we know or I know as a clinician who prescribes hormone therapy day in and day out, that it often treats nearly all of those menopausal symptoms. So is estrogen good for libido? Well, I have to say 50% of the time, that's all women need. And this is really interesting because we're going to get to testosterone in a second. I'm kind of building this long-winded case for estrogen, what estrogen does but libido is made up of so many things certainly one component of it is hormonal but it's also you know are there you know dogs near bed are there kids near bed how's your relationship do you feel good for women who use a lot of our prefrontal cortex when we're having sex If we don't like feel good, sex is just like not going to be high on the list. And so oftentimes when I'm starting hormone therapy, the way I like to do it, and this is just from years of practice, I actually typically will start with just estrogen and then a progesterone if you have an intact uterus. And 50% of the time they feel so much better and they say their libido improves dramatically and we don't need to use testosterone. This is a big reason I really, really despise pellets in the pellet industry is because what you're really getting is for what I see for the majority is just like a whopping dose of testosterone. And oftentimes that's not even what you need for libido. Anyways, I digress. So how does estrogen help libido? I don't know. Does it prime the brain? Maybe for some women, does it just help them sleep and stop flashing? And feel better and therefore sex goes higher on the list? Yeah, probably. As well as treating, you know, genital urinary syndrome of menopause or vaginal dryness. So all this is to say, if you're taking notes, which you're probably not, you're probably driving or walking or doing the dishes, but estrogen is really going to be the main component when you replace um, hormone therapy, that's going to really help with the majority of symptoms it is really estrogen. It's really not a surprise. So then we're like, well, what about progesterone and what about testosterone? So let's get there. So estrogen is going to help with the majority of symptoms. So why do progesterone? If you've been listening to the show for a while, you know this. And the answer is really because if I gave you estrogen and you didn't have a uterus, I could inadvertently increase your risk quite significantly for uterine cancer. This is a big reason that I really also stray people away from getting compounded hormone therapy because one of the big concerns about it being compounded is that it's not well studied and there's really no good way to know that you're getting a balance of estrogen and the right dose of progesterone to protect your uterus. And people will say to me, well, I'm getting my labs drawn. Isn't that enough? But no, simply it's not enough because we just don't know if a blood level means that your uterus is getting enough. The reason FDA approved hormone therapy is recommended is because it's been studied long term and we know that in the right, you know, balanced doses that a knowledgeable doctor should be giving you, it's not going to increase your risk for uterine cancer. So the answer for progesterone is pretty simple. If you have a uterus, it's a must. And there's a couple different ways you can do this. You can take it orally. And one of my favorite ways to do it is using Prometrium or another way to say that is um, micronized natural progesterone in either 100 or 200 milligrams. It depends what dose of estrogen you'll be on. There is um progesterone in some of the combination patches, either in the combi patch or the Climera Pro patch, and that's great because you just know they're right together in that patch. Some women take combined oral medications like even old school Prempro, Pro, which is absolutely fine, or something like Mimbi, Activella, Angelique. Those are all just simply brand names of hormone therapy that um, come combined with an estrogen and a progesterone. You could be doing a gel. So Divagel, Alestrin, Eva Mist, that's a spray. And again, if you have a uterus, you're going to want to take the right progesterone with it. And again, you shouldn't be the one coming up with this. Your doctor should know. You can also um, have an IUD placed. And if it's releasing progesterone like a Mirena or a Kylena, that can also be a really nice option. So this is probably a great place to plug the Reclaiming Menopause Masterclass, which is my course um, for women. And uh, the point of the Reclaiming Menopause Masterclass, or its mission statement, is to help women who are suffering with menopausal symptoms and who feel stuck or confused, either stuck with their provider or really confused, not quite sure if their hormone therapy dose is right. Maybe they've been offered compounded or pellets or... They're just feel like something's not right or not working. And I really help you um, with support with me and through my course to figure out the right type of hormone therapy for you and we get you feeling so much better super educated if not smarter than your doctor and super empowered to have the conversation with your doctor to get exactly what you need exactly where you are so if you're interested in joining the sisterhood of the reclaiming menopause Masterclass, um, you'll find a link for that in the description of this podcast episode you can also find it every place that you can find me if it's instagram or um, youtube there's often links for the reclaiming menopause masterclass. So at this point in the show, I want you to kind of learn the fact that estrogen is going to help with the majority of symptoms. And then progesterone is necessary if you have an intact uterus, but to make things a little bit more complicated or spicy, you can actually also use progesterone if you don't have a uterus. And I'll tell you why. Progesterone has one other side effect. I guess I wouldn't call it a side effect. One other medication effect that I see very commonly having prescribed it so often is that it can be really helpful for relaxation and inducing sleep. So if you are one of those folks that when you get into bed, the anxiety spikes, um, progesterone can be a really nice option. In fact, not only a nice option, but potentially better than traditional sleeping aids, whether that's an SSRI or that's trazodone. We want you to ideally stay away from Ambien and Benzos because those medications get you further and further away from actually being able to learn good sleep hygiene to be able to get yourself to sleep. So for example, I have a student in the Reclaiming Menopause Masterclass who no longer has her uterus um, and she uses estrogen, but then she also added progesterone at bedtime and that seemed to help her sleep. And also just calm down some of the, how you say, little irritability she had left. And it works really nice for her. So there's no reason you can't use progesterone if you don't have a uterus. And you can use progesterone without estrogen, but you cannot do it the other way around. If you're on estrogen and you have your uterus you need to take a balanced progesterone with your estrogen. So again, another reason why you know, most menopause experts will steer away from compounded hormone therapy because they're being marketed as being safer when arguably, easily arguably, there's more side effects and more dangers with compounded hormone therapy and then most definitely with pellet injections. So let's get around to the fun stuff. So what about testosterone? Good old testosterone. So a lot of women postmenopausally are going to have low testosterone levels. In fact, I just got off a phone call with one of my patients who is asking me if she should restart it. And most testosterone levels, just like estrogen, are going to be low. And the reference range for women for testosterone is somewhere between, you know, zero or two and like 50. And reference ranges are important. They differ from institution to institution, but they're really helpful to know. And whenever I'm thinking about starting testosterone, I'm always going to actually check yours and make sure it's actually low. If it's normal or even slightly higher than normal, testosterone, more testosterone is probably not necessary. So there's not a lot of data on testosterone. That is a rate limiting factor. There's so much that we don't know about testosterone and its effect because it's just not been well studied. To make matters worse, testosterone's not FDA approved in the United States. So even though I just went through that whole spiel about, you know, avoiding compounded therapy, even I have to get testosterone compounded when I want to use it because there is no FDA-approved option. If you're following the logic, because it's not FDA approved, it is really hard to do a phase two, phase three clinical trial with testosterone because not each medication is the same. So the best we can really do is like prospective studies where women self-select to use this medication then we follow them after that. And so that inherently has some biases and some problems. um, Because again, only, only a certain group of women probably seek out to use testosterone and maybe in a better position to have their doctor actually help them. So it, it kind of leads to an unfair playing field. But that's all we can do right now. Uh, NAMS, the North American Menopause Society, uh, and as well as the International Menopause Society, British Menopause Society, Endocrine Society, all came together in 2019 and put out a global consensus paper on the use of testosterone in postmenopausal women. And what this consensus statement says is that well, what we what we what we kind of know is that it seems that testosterone has the biggest benefit, and it's not all that big, but some benefit for libido when used in physiologic low doses. I'll explain that in a second. Postmenopausally in women who suffer from low libido and low libido means that the libido is low and this is bothersome and or distressing to you. So you don't need to tr- you don't need to treat low testosterone. And most likely if you're postmenopausal and you check your testosterone level, it's going to be pretty low. But do you need to treat it? You don't need to treat it. That's another reason I have with these pellet injections that just drive me literally as it keeps me awake at night. It drives me crazy is that the majority of women actually don't need testosterone? Not that testosterone isn't probably important and not that testosterone shouldn't be studied more, but what I see clinically day in and day out, I have about 30% of my patients on testosterone, but see, not everyone needs it. And you know, that other 70%, they feel great. And so we don't need to add something just to, and we don't have a ton of data that they need it. So again, I do testosterone quite frequently, but it's just not always necessary. And it's not the one hormone that's going to solve all of these problems. If you get massive levels of testosterone, testosterone converts into estrogen. And I wonder if potentially that's the mechanism why if you have these super therapeutic, super duper duper high levels of estrogen, estrogen, testosterone, sorry. Some converts to estrogen, which is blunting some of the symptoms because I spent the first 15 minutes of this podcast saying 80% of the symptoms of menopause, if you can feel them, are going to be better with estrogen. Not to mention, we haven't gotten there yet, but the other benefits that estrogen tends to have for breast, for bone health, for cardiovascular health, um, for pelvic floor health, for brain health, but that's kind of a story for another day. We're really kind of focusing here on symptoms. So low testosterone, do you need it? You really, hopefully, should have a really good doctor if you're part of the my Reclaiming Menopause Masterclass. I help you work through if you need it or if you don't. Um, But the majority of what it can help with is probably libido. Now, what I always tell my patients, hey, if we're gonna do testosterone for low and bothersome libido and you have low testosterone, let's see, does it help you with memory, cognition, muscle mass, metabolism? Again, the global consensus paper stated that these other things had really little to almost no evidence showing that they helped these symptoms. But to be honest, because I'm a clinician, I get this great bonus and benefit of being able to watch so many of my patients come back and tell me how they feel, which is sometimes different than research. Um, And so sometimes my patients feel that it's just kind of the cherry on top for them. So I hope I've given you a ton of stuff to think about. Estrogen is going to help with the majority of symptoms. Progesterone is a must. If you have a uterus, you can take progesterone if you don't have a uterus. And testosterone is a maybe particularly if low libido is still a problem after estrogen replacement. Make sure your hormone therapy is FDA approved. And if you can find a really good doctor, this is going to make this process so much better. This is something that you know I'm working on. I do here uh, when I educate on my podcast or on YouTube or on Instagram. If you're a provider, be sure to follow me on Instagram. I'm at hormone.health.doc because I do have a CME course that's going to be coming out in the fall that's going to teach you, you know, step by step by step. It's, like eight hours long, how to prescribe hormone therapy with ease and with confidence. Um, and so follow me over there, but I'm doing so much to help encourage, uh, education on this worldwide, globally. And if you are listening and you just want more support from me, you want to work with me, you want more help, then join the menopause masterclass. You'll find the link for that in the description for the show. Thank you guys so much for listening in. If you've made it this far, please, if you have the time, feel free to leave me a review or a couple of stars. Um, Here's my pro tip. Do it while you're in the bathroom because, again, I bet you're driving or you're walking and you're never going to be able to. I listen to podcasts all the time. And I was in the bathroom the other day, and that's when I finally got down to uh, writing a review for one of my favorite podcasts, because what else are you going to do there? So (laughs) thank you guys so much. Really, your support means the world to me. It's exciting to see this podcast grow. And if you want to support me, um, definitely join my subscription only podcast. It's only available on iTunes, but about my analytics, say about 90% of you do listen over there. And I just give you fun episodes once or twice a month. And it also does help support me do the show for you guys. Thank you a wonderful week and be sure to follow me on Instagram if you want to know all that's going down at the sexual health meeting. Bye everyone.
1: you